Yes, folks, it's Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern. This is Pillars of Franchising, where we broadcast the secrets of a success in franchising. I'm Fred McMurray, and my co-host is Ray Pillar. Ray, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you doing? Um, well, I keep having people tell me that I'm looking good and uh, that I've lost weight and Wow, I'm starting to become vain, though. You know, I'm like, whoa, guts going in, muscles showing up. So I'm feeling fine. How's the weather there? Well, I'm really glad to hear that, considering your condition and the weather here. The weather here. Well, it is, I, I guess this would be like Pacific Northwest weather. It's a beautiful 44 degrees, but it's cloudy and misty. You know, sort of like it would be in uh, Washington, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, people are walking around here in shorts. It's so beautiful outside. 44, I'd, mid-40s, I'd expect them to be having picnics at the beach there. Expect them to get what? Having picnics at the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had... Lunch out on my deck today. It was so balmy outside. It's beautiful. I don't know. I, you know, it, I guess that's weather. That's called weather here. It's just that normal, nice mid mid to low seventies, perfect hoodie weather. Sun's glinting off the Pacific. You know, you know the pictures I show. So actually, really quick before we go into our guest, did you see the? There's an article um, in the news or a, a news bulletin i think it was yesterday about the that strange cloud formation or like a shooting star or or meteorite um did you see that in the the news i did not okay so well there was um they it was seen really uh uh by a lot of people up in the bay area but i actually did see it and i thought damn um I missed the the launch at Vandenberg because there's supposed to be a Vandenberg launch on Tuesday, um, and I missed it. And they had rescheduled it to Wednesday. And I'd read earlier in the day that it had been rescheduled again. And then I saw this really strange uh, streak of looked like a jet contrail um, in the sky. And I thought, well, crap, they they must have launched at Vandenberg. Turned out it was actually they're saying. It was a meteorite. Of course, I've never seen a meteorite um, trail that doesn't go straight, but I don't know. I think it was probably a alien UFO alien craft landing in the Bay Area. But then again, oh, who could tell, right? Uh, well, I, I think everybody's an offspring of the aliens in the uh, Bay Area, aren't they? Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't go there, huh? Yeah, it shouldn't go there. They may, they may boycott us over there. Who knows? So who's our guest today, Ray? Our guest today is Gary Occhiocrosso, and he is with Franchise Growth Solutions. Hi, Gary. How are you doing today? I'm Hi, doing real well, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So how can you, you mess up his name? Uh, actually, it was pretty good for the first time, unless you've been practicing for the last few days. <laughs> uh Good job, Ray. You got that one. Got that one in. So where are you? Where are Gary, you? Today? Where are you at? 
Oh, I'm I'm up in the uh, New York metropolitan area, actually in uh, northern New Jersey, to be exact. But uh, uh, I'm a I'm a New Yorker. Ah. So then, what's so, our next question, Ray? What's the weather like up there, Gary? Uh, the weather? It is um, cold in the 40s, rainy, um, dark. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, it's wintertime here in New York. Uh, you know, fortunately, it's slightly above freezing, so we're not having any snow. Uh, but uh, it's just a cold dark, miserable winter day. But the bright side is I'm in New York. Ah. That's that's your home your home state, right? Your home city? Yeah, New York State. Yeah, yeah, I New York City originally from uh Queens, one of the boroughs. Ah. Cool. Yes, we both heard that. Well, I like the way you described it. It's miserable. I, you know, I I look at this as, as beautiful weather. <laughs> but I'm kind of an optimist, I guess. So, so Gary, t- uh, tell us about your 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 company, uh, Franchise Growth Solutions. Well, um, Franchise Growth Solutions really is sort of the the outgrowth of a 35 year career in the franchising business. Uh, and uh, it's a strategic planning, a franchise development and sales organization that uh, I put together really to to share my knowledge and experience with um, startup and emerging franchise brands who often find themselves, you know, dodging bullets and rounding the icebergs, so to speak, and some of them successfully and some of them not. And uh, my goal is to impart some some wisdom and uh, share my bloody noses that I've gotten over the years with them and in, in, in the hope and desire that I can uh, help them grow. That's what we do. We coach, we counsel franchisors, we create brand messages, we um, solicit and vet potential franchisees and um, then create infrastructure for the franchisor so they can service the franchisee properly. That's really cool. That's what would you consider it? Yeah, what would you consider a, a good franchise concept? Well, there are a lot of good franchise concepts out there. I mean, you know, no names named. I would tell you that, uh, you know, the basis of a of a good franchise concept is one that has a proven out business model. I've seen uh, franchisors, you know, all too often, very quickly, you know, within six months or so of launching a business. All of a sudden, they want to be franchisors, and they haven't figured it out. So, you know, I would say a proven operating model would be uh, the first component of a good franchise concept. Obviously, the franchisor needs to be properly funded. Certainly don't want a franchisor that's living off of the collection of the initial franchise fee, uh, because then the franchisor may be making decisions regarding who they should or should not accept based on whether or not they need that money to keep their company going. So properly, you know, properly capitalized franchisor, uh, to me, makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, the product, the concept has to be timely, has to fit into the marketplace that they intend to develop. 
if they have a niche that they are uh, putting themselves in so that they can become a leader in a particular segment. I always like that. I think that uh, that creates a lot of brand equity. So to me, that's what makes up a good franchise concept. Um, you know, there are brands out there that, that have that. Um, you know, in the startup phase, it's always a little bit difficult to weed through that. But um, that's how I would answer the question, unless you want particular names. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm I have no kidding. problem. <laughs> I have no say? problem either. Fred? I was going to say, I have no problem. problem. Yeah, we, 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 we love dirt. Yeah. Well, I you know some of this, obviously I can you know I can be a bit self-serving here and talk about the brands in my portfolio, but you know I wouldn't want to necessarily do that. Um, so I, I would I would tell you that if you look in you know the type of brands that are out there and the categories that they fall into, I think that's a very important component for franchise buyers to understand. You know, whether they're looking for a service-type business, uh, a sales-type business, a restaurant-type business, where we, we tend to focus on uh, restaurants, primarily QSRs and fast casuals. I think that it's as important as it is for the franchisor to be in a good place and kind of look inward and make sure they're prepared to deliver. I think it's equally important that the franchisee or potential franchisee understand what they're good at and what they really want to do because that's the business they'll be running. So what do you see are some of the biggest mistakes that startup um, brands make as they try to grow their brands? Okay. Well, um, you know, I would, I would tell you that overall the, the biggest mistake is being undercapitalized. Um, that is the biggest mistake that a franchisor uh, can make. And, and a lot of that is due in part to um, not simply uh, the franchisor's lack of knowledge in the franchising business, because we need to take a step back and remember that most franchisors, the founders, didn't start out as franchisors. They started out as, you know, someone that owned a restaurant or someone that owned a lawn care service or someone that owned a, um, you know, a, a dog kennel. So, so they understand the work of the business, but they don't necessarily understand the franchise business. So as a result, that being a component, they fail to truly understand the cost associated with launching a franchise business, the amount of work and where they see themselves. They need to cross that bridge from being, you know, the person that ran the pizza shop to the person that's now running the pizza shop franchise company. So uh, th this is caused often in part by development companies who make a living, you know, selling operations manuals or sometimes attorneys who just, you know, want to make a buck writing an FDD. And <laughs> the... The, the, the franchisor may be led to believe that, well, for 35 or 40 grand for the ops manuals and 12, 15, 20 grand for an FDD, hey, I'm in business, I'll be a franchisor and I can start collecting royalties. And then they don't look at the cost per acquisition in terms of the sale. 
you know, how many leads do they need to close a sale? How much does each lead cost? Are they going to need to spend eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars in lead generation money before they sell one franchise? And then that franchise fee is going to get sucked up between lawyers and salespeople and to pay for the the advertising. So they find themselves chasing their tails constantly, and it's a result of being undercapitalized and not understanding the true cost of acquiring a franchisee and the true prize. The true prize is not the upfront initial franchise fee. The prize for the franchisor is the ongoing royalty, and that takes time to develop and accumulate. So that would be the that would be the number one undercapitalization. I would say a second piece to that would be a lack of understanding in the infrastructure piece, having proper manuals, having someone or access to someone who can properly select real estate on behalf of the franchisee or work with the franchisee. Proper training, you know, training. If you if you run a restaurant and you're the owner, training a manager, training a POS operator. You're, you're kind of working off your head, so to speak, and you're working in, you know, what I call baptism by fire. But when you have a franchisee in front of you and franchisees' employees, your training system has to be set up in modules. It has to be formal, um, almost like a like a college syllabus that takes the the student, in this case, the franchisee, through each step of the operation, not only from the logistics of running the shop but also the business management, the financial management uh, of, of the business itself. So that, that would be another mistake that I see young franchisors make. They don't put enough time into developing the infrastructure or access to people who can help with the infrastructure. Again, that's what Franchise Growth Solutions preaches and teaches and helps uh, franchisors with, making sure they can deliver on what they've promised the franchisee in the selling process. So, quick follow-up question. The, uh, oh, quick, and then you can take uh, over. Me. Quick follow-up question. You you talked about being able to to capitalize it. When you say that, do you mean that the franchisor, the would-be franchisor, has to have all the capital themselves, or if not, where else can they get capitalization? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, most franchisors need to self-fund or do, you know, the family and friends round uh, in order to raise capital and shareholders for their franchise companies uh, to, and I'm not, look, nothing is absolute. So I would, I would tell you that it would be hard for me to grasp the idea that a startup franchisor could go to a private equity firm and raise capital based on, you know, a zero EBITDA line on their franchise company and maybe some cash flow from two or three units that they may have as company stores. Um, most of it is self-funded. Some could come from a bank in the form of SBA loans. And in many cases, it comes from friends and family rounds, people who believe in the concept, who believe in the individual heading up the franchise company, and they invest in that individual on a private level. And uh, the franchisor is off to the races, so to speak, with enough money to uh, get those first three, four, five franchisees up and running uh, and get to a royalty-neutral situation as quickly as possible. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Go ahead, Ray. On our show, 
this is uh, one of the things that we do uh, talk a lot about is uh, proper capitalization uh, when you're buying a franchise. And it's it's a, it's sort of a, a parallel thing here, also in that keeping the uh, the franchise uh, he needs to uh, keep his eye on not necessarily getting that one customer, but keeping that customer. In, in my case, uh, owning a a made franchise, uh, we look at the reoccurring customer and we bend over backwards. To, to keep that customer as much as we possibly can. And when I was looking at franchises, I, I got the impression from a lot of them, they were just interested in that initial fee. And uh, once that happened, and uh, uh, basically, you know, they, they were going to just leave me. <laughs> uh, and I did not get that impression from my from uh, Molly made when I, when I signed up with them. Right. And, and, and that is, you know, that is spot on. When we take on a client, we look at the franchisor's financials because we believe that the same way a franchisee needs to have proper, proper capitalization, so does the franchisor. And a great indication that franchisors might be undercapitalized is when they're overselling or willing to bend the rules or modify the franchise agreement to the extent where it no longer looks like the original agreement. And basically what I'm getting at is the franchisor willing to do whatever they need to do in order to sign up that potential franchisee and get that check. That That's a clear indication that the franchisee, a franchisor rather, uh, is undercapitalized. So that, that's, that's it's a big issue. I see it a lot in startups. Um, again, we don't, unlike our competitors, and we have two or three in the country, we vet each franchisor. Once they do their due diligence on, on, on my company, we then do a thorough investigation on their company. And no matter how badly they may want us to work with them, if they're undercapitalized, if they haven't proven out their system, if they are people who, in my opinion, know one more page than the book, so to speak, uh, then we don't accept them into our membership, into our portfolio. It's uh, our our company is a very closed environment, and uh, and we keep it that way because we don't want to get involved in uh, soliciting and presenting and selling a franchise for a company that's not going to deliver the service to the franchisee. We, we don't want any part of that. Okay. Absolutely. So now it's that time, right? So I'll thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. You can uh, listen at the website, www.pillarsoffranchising.com, where you can also ask questions live through the chat. Or you can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And now, a word from one of our sponsors. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. 
Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. Ray, back to you. So I want to ask Gary, what are the top three critical elements in soliciting and securing new franchisees? Uh, great question. I would tell you, number one, uh, the franchise award needs to understand who their potential franchisee is. Uh, very often when you ask a franchisor, hey, describe your ideal franchisee or who, who, who are you going after, they'll say, well, anyone can do this. This is so simple. We can. This is for everyone. Well, guess what? Everyone is not a potential customer. So you need to have a clearly defined understanding of what makes up a good franchisee in your business. Obviously, someone running a service business versus an advertising business versus a restaurant business, those all require different skill sets and different qualities. Uh, So that would be the number one component. The franchisor needs to understand who their target franchisee is. The second thing would be, now that we know who they are, Well, then, where do they live, so to speak? How are they consuming information? Are they online users? Are they uh, people who consume information through books, through print, through digital? Where are they living? What are they reading? How are you going to reach them? So an example in the restaurant business, we reach a lot of folks through uh, digital advertising on uh, websites of restaurant magazines, various publications that people in the business who are already in the restaurant business are reading. So that's where we solicit. We, we also solicit through Facebook. We do Facebook ads. We do a lot of um, email blasts to very specific uh, filtered lists. So number one, understanding who your buyer is. Number two, understanding where they are. And then number three, what your process would be in order to properly vet out that potential franchisee once they uh, make the inquiry. Uh, Everyone is viewing that process as a sales process. You know, we hear the term speed to lead. You know, let's pick up the phone and get back to that person right away. Let's start sending them brochures and hitting them with emails and sell, sell, sell. And uh, in many cases in today's world, prior to the inquiry, the, the potential franchisee has probably been on the franchisor's website. They've probably consumed some level of education on the Internet so they know what questions to ask. Um, you know, the days of, you know, hype, 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 those are, those are gone. You're dealing with sophisticated buyers in many cases. So uh, those would be my top three. Um, know your buyer, know where they live, and know how to bring them through the process so that both the franchisor and the potential franchisee can be fully informed and make a decision as to whether or not they want to proceed with the transaction. Sounds very clinical, but it works better in the long run. And and what you said all makes sense. Um, slightly different, I guess, uh, take on that question of when – so Ray is a franchisee, and, and – um, I, I've started a couple of businesses that um, have not become franchises yet. But every time we talk to a franchisee, one of the things they talk about, or at least the vast majority will talk about work-life balance, and they wanted, but they didn't want to go through all the hassle of developing their own business. 
So mm-hmm. when I look at a franchisor um, or, you know, basically the, the mothership for the franchisee, that person, um, whoever started that franchise, has to have a different mindset than their average um, franchisee because that person's actually gone through all that hassle to start the franchise. Does that ever cause – does that ever – that different mindset does that ever cause problems in understanding who your best franchisee is? Because sure, it can't all be- the time, and here's why: we misuse and overuse the word entrepreneur. Um, the person who develops the franchise, the franchisor, is typically the entrepreneur, the visionary, the person who wants to bring their widget to the masses. Franchisees, by their very nature are not entrepreneurs. Now, they may be entrepreneurial um, if they become multi-unit operators or even single-unit operators. They're exercising an entrepreneurial spirit, but they're not necessarily exercising a vision. What they're exercising is being a technician. So, you know, I'm a student of a guy named Michael Gerber who wrote a fascinating book called The E-Myth Revisited, which all of my franchisor clients are required to read before we start any coaching or launching of their their brand and he talks about the visionary he talks about the technician and he talks about the manager and franchisees typically fall into the technician and manager category when a franchisor believes that they're looking for entrepreneurs someone like themselves what they end up doing is bringing someone into the franchise community that wants to reinvent the wheel, that has a better way, that has vision, that wants to you know, recreate the system. Now, let's just take a step back. There is absolutely nothing wrong with franchisees participating in the evolution of a franchise company. And smart franchisors set up franchise advisory councils and mechanisms for that communication to go back and forth. But that's far different than a franchisee who decides he wants to sell his grandma's favorite chili recipe in his seafood restaurant because everybody loved grandma's chili recipe. That's a brand inconsistency. That's a problem. So franchisors need to understand that they're really looking for people who can follow a system as opposed to create a system. Mm, Excellent answer, Ray. Yeah, this is getting deep. I know. We've had discussions about this, haven't we? Yes, yes. I think one of the questions that's coming to my mind is is that Gary has a lot of experience in in the uh, franchising industry. And I think I, I would like to know from Gary, and he's talked to a lot of franchisors, what are some of the biggest mistakes that a franchisor has made that has caused them to either not grow as fast or even fail? Um, Well, there's a few, uh, you know, uh, we can look at maybe the top two or three. Again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but again, undercapitalization would be uh, at the top of that list. Another one will be development territory and how you build out your brand. Now, one of the things that we practice is we build out brands in what we call concentric circles. So if you start your brand in New York, 
our primary development territory might be 75, 80 miles, 100 miles around the New York City market. And why is that? Because we know the franchisor doesn't have a lot of staff. We know the franchisor may not have a ton of money. And we know the franchisor needs to stay really close to those few first franchisees. And that's certainly very simple when I can jump in the car and be in my franchisee's location in an hour or two to help them with a problem. So understanding a primary development territory and then a secondary territory, again, on the East Coast, we would go Boston to Philly, and then a tertiary territory might be the East Coast as we develop the brand. Of course, there are always exceptions to the rule. If I'm developing a restaurant business in the New York market and an experienced operator, let's say he he or she may own a company that's a multi-brand franchisee, in the food business and they happen to be in Houston, Texas, and they love the brand and they want to develop it on a multi-level in a place like Houston, certainly I'm going to sit down and consider that individual. But in most cases, growing in concentric circles so that you can build a brand, build brand recognition, service your franchisees, and love those franchisees the way we love our children and we want more for them than we want for ourselves, would be a key component. The mistake franchisors make is they become intoxicated with the idea that people from other parts of the country want to write them a check to, to, to duplicate their business. And then you have sales companies, some of them are franchise consultants, some of them are simply franchise brokers, where they're generating leads from all over the country, selling brands that they know little or nothing about, that just happen to be in their portfolio, and the brokers are chasing commissions and convincing young franchisors, hey, don't worry about it, that you're in New York. Let's sell one in Topeka, Kansas, and we're going to do a development in Dubai. How often do you hear about young startup franchisors? They have three units, but they have a development going on in Dubai. This is nonsense. This is how franchisors fall into the problems because they can't service the franchisee. So geography is key. So finances, geography, and then again, selecting the right franchisee and being ready to service that franchisee. Um, If you read some of my articles, uh, whether in Forbes or on my LinkedIn page, you'll find that I'm one of those people, and I'm not alone in this, that believe that franchisees that go rogue, franchisees that start to do things their own way, are driven to that because they've lost confidence in the franchisor, and now they go into survival mode. So franchisors need to not only have their their systems figured out, but they need to make sure that they're confident by testing those things so that the franchisees don't become, you know, the guinea pig, so to speak, on some idea that the franchisor has. So I would say those are the top three things. Uh, you know, they make mistakes by being undercapitalized. They make mistakes by growing in markets they know nothing about or that are geographically too far away from where they live or they haven't figured out their system well enough where they can inspire their franchisees to follow the system and not go rogue, as I call it. I definitely can see uh, that happening about them going rogue because they're not getting enough help from the franchisor. And I like also what you said about the franchisor needs to love and 
I'll accentuate that love their franchisee because I think that uh, that brings them in that brings them into the uh, the family of the franchisor. And and knowing that and feeling that is extremely important to the success of the franchise or and the franchisee. Absolutely, there's there's you know we what we really haven't talked about here in in the vetting process is corporate culture and mission statement. When I take on a client, the first thing we do is we start talking about corporate culture, um, you know, core values and mission statements. Now that's a that, by the way, happens to be a great probe for me, because if I sit down with the, you know, sourpussed, P&L-driven franchisor who thinks that mission statements and core values are a bunch of baloney, ultimately they don't become my client, because they don't get it. They don't get it that if they don't understand who they are and what their company is and what their company stands for and what their purpose is, then they're not going to select franchisees who are like-minded in their core values. And that's a big, big mistake because you, you can teach anyone a particular skill. I'll teach anyone how to run a restaurant or how to run a service business. That's the least of it. The most important factor is what's the mindset of the franchisee? And by the way, there's no right or wrong. This is not to say one is better than the other. It's simply finding a match finding people who believe what you believe. What is the purpose of this company? You know, when an entrepreneur and a founder says, well, the purpose is to make a lot of money. Yeah, I have a problem with that. When when a, an entrepreneur, I have a brand called Acai Express. We sell acai bowls. We're just bringing it into the U.S. now. We have 15 locations in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The founder of that company is so committed to healthy lifestyles and active lifestyles, that he started the company so that the company and its products can be a messenger for that particular message, if you will, of healthy eating and healthy lifestyles. He didn't start the company to build 500 units. We're, we're going to do that, mind you, but we're doing that to fulfill his mission. And we won't accept a franchisee who doesn't have the same mindset that that's why they're opening their Acai Express shop in their location. Even though it's the one location they're opening, they have to have that same mindset. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Uh, oh, 100%. yeah. 100%. Yeah, without a doubt. Fred, don't you think so? Oh, I think so. And I, I, you, uh, Molly makes a perfect example of, you know, every, every Molly has uh, um, the uh, not-for-profit or charity costs. The, about mm-hmm. the domestic violence awareness that they support. Um, one of the, the, I think it's the fourth pillar, our, our fourth pillar is giving back to the community. Got to have a cause, got to have a reason um, why you're in existence above and beyond money. There you go. And, and you know what I would add to that is, as people my age, you know, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, um, you know, we're kind of exiting the career and the work cycle and, and the and, and the job market and the and the small business market is now being inhabited by millennials. They're the largest workforce right now. Um, and I am the proud father of a millennial. Um, and what I've learned from her is that um, millennials look at the entire picture, so to speak. They care 
about other things. Uh, again, using my restaurant background, I can tell you that um, whether or not my clients are using post-consumer biodegradable paper to put their chicken sandwiches in is as big a factor to a millennial as how good the chicken sandwich tastes, uh, which is as equally important as to was the chicken humanely raised. And what does the chicken restaurant in this example give back to the community? Uh, millennials are very, very focused on that. And franchise buyers these days, more and more, they're millennials. So you need to address that and you need to address what's important to them. And I think overall it makes for a better company and a better relationship. I don't disagree. Right on the head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally with you. So, at this point, we want to uh, remind our listeners, you can call in with questions at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And a word from another sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805-265-5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises, and we want to help yours grow. And back to you, Ray. Well, I think uh, one thing we want to cover right now is, before we forget, is if someone wants to get a hold of you, Gary, what's the best way to do that? Real simple. You You can email me at Info at Fran Grow, that's short for Franchise Growth Solutions, info at frangrow.com. Um, that's the best way to reach me, and I'm one of those people who, regardless of the day or time that I get an email, uh, I respond. So you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at fran, F-R-A-N-G-R-O-W.com. Now, there's another way people can listen to you, isn't there? Yep. We are we we do a radio program on AM nine seventy, the answer, uh here in New York. Uh, it's currently on hiatus and uh we will be back probably uh coming into the spring season, but it's a weekly radio show that focuses on um franchising and small business, not just franchising. Uh and um any of your listeners who are interested in uh, reading more about you know my thoughts on the industry can read me at uh, Ford, uh, uh, Forbes.com. Uh, you can just Google my name or just put in Okio Grosso at Forbes.com, and my articles will come up. Pretty cool, ain't that, Ray? It is, absolutely. So uh, maybe uh, Gary can give us some advice on our radio show. How, how are we doing, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> well, you're not going to put me on the spot. You're doing absolutely fine. <laughs> All right. So that's another uh, comment that makes it into the eventual um, brochure about the show. Yes, we're doing good, Ray. See? Amazing. There you <laughs> go. 
I, I often tell Fred, I think one of my greatest fears is to get uh, someone on the show who you ask them a question and they say yes or they say no. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't go on any further. They don't elaborate. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 is, that is always a difficult thing where you now have to start talking for them. Obviously, you don't have that problem with me because I get paid by the word. So you can see how 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 many words I'm using. <laughs> uh, and you're not boring. That's my number one fear: is don't be boring. Oh, I hate those. And yep. They just monotone on and on and on. Ah, bad. So, what what's the worst franchisor you've ever seen? Um, again, no names, names. Well, now you're it putting was, them on the spot. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I, I have had my media coaching over the years. I, I won't name names, but I'll tell you the qualities of a bad franchisor. Number one, a franchisor who believes his or her own press. Um, mm. Sometimes even, even a successful franchisor can be a terrible franchisor because they, you know, they open up the trade publications and start reading about, you know, how great people think they are. Um, and that might be great for consumers, but it doesn't necessarily be, you know, it's not necessarily great for the franchisee. So that would be one. Uh, obviously, a franchisor who does, who practices a concept that I call collect and neglect, meaning they collect the royalties and they neglect their responsibilities as a franchisor, meaning they don't visit franchisees, they don't communicate with them, they don't develop new products or new marketing routines. Uh, those, to me, are a mark of a bad franchisor. Um, a, kind of a subset there would also be franchisors that want to play both sides of the fence. And again, I'll take a step back and tell you that you know, in the, in the earlier days of franchising, many franchisors had about you know, 30% company units and 70% franchise units. Uh, I'm not a big advocate of that anymore. I don't believe franchisors should have more than a few units, perhaps in each market if they want, to use those company units as test stores, you know, test kitchens, test retail stores, whatever. But when franchisors are actively involved in the same business as their franchisees, they start to compete for locations and they start making judgments as to if they have to place either intellectual or financial assets on a problem, um, they're more likely to place those assets on their company stores as opposed to their franchisees. So I'm not a big believer in um, franchisors that continue to develop a high number of company stores. That, that, those, those are the pieces to me that make up you know, not great franchisors or franchise companies. You know, I like what you said on that last piece because uh, we had been talking with a, a very large 13,000-plus uh, uh, location franchisor. And when, as we looked at it, the, they were literally in the process of gutting their, their franchisees because they had the corporate stores. And we knew because of what they did, the corporate stores would – get more volume, more and more volume, whereas the, the franchisees would get fewer and fewer uh, clients that were um, high dollar value. 
than the corporate yeah. stores because of the offerings. And I thought that was atrocious. So I'm, that's a insightful answer. So I guess what I'm trying to get out of my yeah, no, I, I hear you. What I would add to that is even if the franchisor is not practicing anything that you just described, at the end of the day, the franchisee community may be made to feel that territories or locations that are given to franchisees are really not, you know, the top-notch ones because if they were, the company would take them. So they start to feel like they're they're being given the crumbs in terms of territories and locations. And whether that whether that practice is actually happening, kind of that raised eyebrow exists. And I just don't believe that that bodes well in terms of the relationship that the franchisor and the franchise community would have, you know, going forward. Ray, many of our uh, listeners are people who are thinking about going into franchising, opening a franchise of their own. And uh, I was wondering if you could put in a couple of words what they should be leery of and what they should be looking for in a franchise. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that basically, uh, especially in this day and age, are, are starting to look in that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there's a couple of things based on the, the size of the franchise company. If it's a very mature company, um, they should obviously speak with existing franchisees because the franchisees are the customers of the franchisor. So getting kind of a customer point of view is important. Uh, if it's a mature franchise or uh, I would look to see what are the upside opportunities. Sometimes um, there are no more opportunities left. Yes, you might have your single hamburger store, your single donut shop, but your opportunity to grow and build new stores may be impacted by the fact that the franchisor is already saturated, you know, the country. So that would be what I would look at on a mature company and what I would want to know. Um, On a startup or an emerging brand, I would want to know, is the franchisor involved on a day-to-day basis? Am I working with a team of people who are very close to the concept? Um, How do they plan to, you know, exploit the concept and grow the brand? Are they properly capitalized? All the things we talked about earlier in the show, those are the things that I would look at. Um, From a purely logistics point of view, once the potential franchisee has issued the FDD, the Franchise Disclosure Document, which they should have uh, a legal professional review, without a doubt. They should not attempt to review the FDD on their own or or proceed without counsel, legal counsel. But uh, logistically, they should be looking at what are the costs, the high and low costs to open up a franchise. Um, if the franchisor publishes an item 19, which is an earnings claim, um, you know, which typically talks about um, either median sales or average unit volumes of the uh, of the franchisees, they should look to see how that's sorted. Sometimes a company might have 50 franchisees and only report the top 10. Um, that would be something I would look at. I would look at the franchisor's financials, which is also published in the FDD. And again, validation. Pick up the phone. I know I sound old school now. Pick up the phone and uh, call, or better yet, go visit some franchisees 
that are in that company that you want to join and see how happy they are and see if they're making money and see if they would do it all over again given the chance. Now, did Ray pay you oh. to say that? <laughs> no, but a lot of other people do. Okay. Yeah, it's He's good to all. hear it from somebody else. Yeah, definitely, all sound very sound advice. Absolutely, right on, right on the, right on the button. So, yeah, to well, me, the FDD is the greatest advance to curing insomnia that there ever has been. <laughs> That's why he said, you don't read it. Have your lawyer read it. Well, I have have all of my franchise candidates because a big part of what Franchise Growth Solutions, you know, is involved in is is the selling of franchises for its clients. So I, I always ask my franchise candidates to read through it first before before you write a check to the lawyer. Read through it first. Let's get together for a second or a third meeting. Go through the things you don't understand, and and if we're still if we're still loving each other, then take it to your attorney and spend the money to have it reviewed. But I I always want the candidate, the franchise candidate, to read the FDD and engage in a dialogue with the franchisor, um, so that they participate in the buying process, so to speak. Man, there's, right. I've read enough of them. Some of them are horrifying. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, I mentioned item 7 and item 19 in the FDD. I guess I would add uh, to a potential franchise buyer to look at, I believe it's item 3, which is litigation. Um, uh, if yeah. you've got an FDD. If you've got an FDD in your hand and there are scores of, of, of litigation in there, listed in there, then you know you, you want to find out why. It may be look, it may be perfectly legitimate, but you at least want to start asking some questions. You know, why are so many franchisees suing the franchisor? What's that about? I mean, that would definitely be questions I would be asking. Honest, Fred, I did not pay him. I didn't. I don't know, Ray. I think you know he's hitting some of the same no. stuff you said over and over again. I think he's. He, uh, I think there's some quid pro quo there. Well, yeah. look. At least Ray and I know what we're doing. <laughs> That's fine. You guys are the franchisees experts. I'm just the marketing guy. <laughs> I just want people to buy your stuff. That's all I want. Um, so. If you could give one piece of advice to a new franchisor, what would it be? Call me before you do anything. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's just a bit of shameless self-promotion. Now, I, again, I would go back to the beginning of this program and kind of revisit the idea of is your system, does it work, have you proven it out, do you have a profitable, at least one profitable unit, Uh, Are you properly capitalized? Do you understand the amount of time and attention this is going to take uh, on the part of the franchisor to live through, that you're no longer going to be in your, you know, in your salad shop or your pizza shop or your, you know, your lawn care shop, that you're now going to be in your franchise office, so to speak, building a franchise company? Um, That's what we get heavily involved with. Uh, with our franchisor clients. So that that would be kind of the one piece of advice. Know what you're getting into. 
it's if it were as simple, you know, for the guys that sell manuals and the lawyers that write FDDs, if it was as simple and as easy as they make it sound, everyone would be doing it and everyone would be successful and nothing could be further from the truth. Not everyone is doing it and the vast majority of franchisors that start up are, you know, they're under 100 units. Um, you know, if you look at the stats published by the International Franchise Association, you'll see, um, again, it's it's a simple process, but it's not an easy process. So know what you're getting into. Yeah. That's and call me. And call me. We'll help you with that. <laughs> and, and, and how does someone call you, Gary? How does wait, someone wait, call time you? Out, time out before you say that. Um, it would have been a shameless plug if you'd given the phone number initially. That would have been a shameless plug. So I just want to. Um, well, I wanted I wanted to give your listeners an opportunity to go grab a piece of paper and a pencil so they could write it down. There you okay, go. So now you can get the number. <laughs> so they can reach me at nine one seven nine nine one two four six five. That's nine one seven nine nine one two four six five or just drop me an email at info at frangrow.com. Or just go to my website. Just go to frangrow.com, and all the contact information is there. Great, great guest, Ray. Well, um, Gary, I want to thank you for being on and teaching us all about franchisors. And um, I love this segment uh, or the discussion on the difference between the mindset of the franchisor as opposed to the franchisee, because that's something I wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Yes, we yeah. go. Well, I thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to, as I said, share my bloody noses uh, with mm-hmm. with your audience. And if there's anything I can do to help any of your listeners who are thinking about franchising their concepts, more than happy to do it. Um, you know, we do a free consultation, so anyone can call me up and you know, keep me on the phone for 15 or 20 minutes picking my brain, um, and we don't send a bill. Um, so, again, I thank you, gentlemen, for the opportunity for me to share my stuff. Thank Absolutely. you, Gary. Thank you. All right, so let's hear from what Holly A. Ford's got to say today, right? She's got a new clip. So here oh, it comes. Hi, this is Holly Ford from Zarian Firm. Trending this week in franchising, investing. More specifically, becoming an investment partner in an existing franchise. This can be a very lucrative investment. Many franchisees see the value of expansion to multi-units, but they don't have the working capital to expand quickly enough. Investment partners can inject an amount of capital into the existing business for the purpose of expansion so that the profitable owners can move at a faster pace towards wealth. Owners get the advantage of increased revenue sooner and investors can get a quick return on their capital. These deals can be structured in a number of ways, including stock options, percentage of annual profit, or short-term repayment plans with a strong interest return. If you're interested in learning how you can find good investment opportunities, Connect with me through the Pillars blog or send an email to me at holly at zarianfirm.com. Now for today's two-minute topic, the Fab Four, the four dominant franchise industries. The collective genius of the Beatles arguably created the most influential musical group of our time. The Fab Four's dominance could not have emerged, however, without the individual genius of each member. 
John Winston Ono Lennon, Sir James Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Sir Richard Starkey were each powerful individuals that gifted unique, extraordinary contributions to the Beatles. Lennon's leadership and arrangements, McCartney's songwriting and self-taught proficiency on piano, drums, guitar, and of course bass, Harrison's infusion of the Maharishi teachings, and Starr's open hi-hat and four-to-the-floor bass drum each added unique dimensions to the Fab Four. Franchising's recent powerful growth can be attributed to four unique industries that dominate the field. Dominance here is not defined as the most popular. Dominance, for our purposes today, is defined as industries that will create business wealth in franchising. The first of these dominant franchise industries is senior care. For the next two decades, 10,000 baby boomers will retire each day. Even more astounding, the American senior population will double within the next 25 years. Massive technological advances have and will continue to assist seniors, such as innovations that can read and respond to human emotions, hybrid-assisted limbs, and even a therapeutic baby seal robot for the memory impaired that reacts to touch, plays games, and even dances with seniors. But none of these advances can help if there is not strong care. Franchises that provide community-assisted living, home care, transportation, and location advisors are growing and are very profitable. The second dominant franchise industry is professional services. Although both professional and personal services generally have high margins due to low overhead and consumer-driven pricing models, the professional services have a higher retention rate, higher price point, and of course higher returns. Professional services include such businesses as accounting services, staffing businesses, direct marketing, cleaning, maintenance, and even specialized training. The third dominant industry in franchising is food and beverage. This is not just for the sheer volume of choices, but also because it is somewhat recession-proof, and most importantly, Food and beverage is a relatively simple way to create wealth through multi-unit ownership. Similar to what we discussed earlier in trending, once you reach break-even in a restaurant, the concept can then be replicated multiple times. This replication lowers expenses with regional managers replacing local, adds geographic security should a demographic or economy change affect one of the units, and of course, greater profits. And finally, we have health and fitness. 134 countries have laws setting the maximum length of weekly work, but not in the U.S. Here, Americans work 137 more hours a year than the Japanese, 260 more than the Brits, and 499 more hours than the French. This poses the question, does work lead to increased stress? The professionals say yes, and have documented stress as the number one cause of health problems. To alleviate these stress and health issues, $30 billion a year is being injected into the health and fitness industry. It is, and likely will continue to be in the extended future, an excellent time to invest in one of the dozens of health and fitness franchises. So in recap, the FAT4, the four dominant franchise industries, are senior care, which will continue its uptrend over the next several decades, professional services, which afford very high margins, food and beverage, which offer strong replicability and investment protection, 
and health and fitness, which will continue to explode as the competitive index grows in America. If you would like to learn more about specific franchise opportunities in the Fab Four industries, connect with me at holly at zarianfirm.com. Next week's two-minute topic is entitled, I Can See for Miles, Successfully Creating a Portfolio of Business Investments. Finally today, our highlighted franchise of the week is Assisted Living Locators. Assisted Living Locators is a franchise 500 company that matchmakes seniors with caring providers. This is a home-based concept and has given many franchisees a return on their initial investment in the first six months. This is one of our great senior concepts throwing off great margins. Initial investment is approximately $64,000 and with a good credit score, you should be able to secure an SBA Express loan for just fifteen dollars to twenty dollars or less out of your pocket. Give me a call if you want to learn more, 855-733-1337. That's 855-733-1337. Or email me at holly at zarianfirm.com. If you have any questions about this topic or any other question regarding franchising, email me at holly at zarianfirm.com and we can cover it in a future episode. This is Holly Ford of Zarian Firm on Pillars of Franchising saying, see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Wow, that was a really great um, clip from Holly, don't you think? Absolutely. And it was a really great show as well. Wow on that one too. Thank you for, uh, uh, for Gary being on the, uh, on the show. I've been chasing Gary for a while, so having him on, yeah, that was fun. Um, next week, we should, we're going to both be in the frozen tundra of Chicago, although I'm okay if we don't have snow next week, Ray, so don't order any on my part. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Looking so forward to seeing you, Fred. I'm gonna, it's going to be fun to um, be face-to-face and doing the show with you. Those are always exciting. Um Next yeah. week's topic is going to be uh, franchising in Chicago. Um, so it should be really fun. So let's take our last uh, commercial. Sounds good. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business resale space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business, but all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. Thanks, Holly. I'm Fred McMurray, and with my co-host, Ray Filler. We, this has been Pillars of Franchising. Ray and I will be talking to you next week on how to be successful in franchising. Have a great, uh, actually, Merry Christmas, Ray. 
Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners and, and all the people who are on our show. Have a wonderful, very Merry Christmas. And I can't add anything to that, so we'll just hit the out music. Sounds great. <laughs> 